A few years ago, um, I went on a cruise uh, with my wife and some of our friends. One of those friends was Pastor Bob and Carrie and uh, Abraham and Joanna. I don't know if you know who they are, but we had a great time. It was a, a great time with a couple couples and, you know, we had a lot of fun. And uh, But one of my most memorable moments on this trip was, uh, it wasn't um, the beach. It wasn't the midnight buffet, all right, even though it was delicious. Um, it happened at our first stop in Nassau, Bahamas. Has anybody ever been to Nassau? All right, if you've never been there, it's beautiful. Cabbage Beach, one of my most favorite beaches that I've ever been to. I brought a picture of Cabbage Beach. Isn't that beautiful? Um, however, isn't it beautiful? All right, you can talk back. All right, but, but that wasn't, uh, even that beautiful beach wasn't one of the most memorable moments of my trip. The most memorable moment of my trip started kind of like this. We got off the boat. If you've been on a cruise before, you know there's the classic picture in front of the flotation device that you wish you never have to see, right? So you stand in front of it, you smile, you take a picture, right? Um, and then the girls are like, oh, we just want to work on our tan and take it easy. It's the first stop, you know, it's seven days. And so we're like, okay. So we ask around. And, and when you get off a cruise ship, if you don't get on one of the excursions, and you, you show up at one of these ports, everybody's like pulling you. Come here, come here, you want a braid. You know, they're trying to do, all, you know, buy these bracelets, buy this necklace. And so uh, finally, we were like, we just want to go to the beach. Can somebody take us to the beach? They're like, yeah, there's a hotel like 10 minutes from here. You give them like 10 bucks, and you can hang out all day on the beach and go to the, use their bathrooms and their towels and all that stuff. I'm like, perfect. So we jump in a cab. We head towards the hotel. We get there. We pay the 10 bucks. We go through the lobby, and, and we're having a great time. And then suddenly, the women start saying, oh, we're hungry. Can you get us food? We're hungry. And, you know, I was sleeping. I was like, like, drool coming down my face. The guys just, you know, want to chill, and the ladies wanted to eat. So we walk into the hotel. This is a humongous hotel. You know, I don't know how many floors. I mean, but it was real, real high, and it was real big, and it was just a couple of, you know, a bunch of hotels kind of like all attached to each other, centered around this big one. And when we get in, we're like, oh, where can we get food? They're like, go down to the casino, right? This is where it begins to get interesting. <laughs> um, and, and we go down to the casino, and there's this food court kind of like in the malls, you know, but the food's not as good there. And uh, we go, and we get some burgers and dogs. And so each of us has, the three guys, each of us have like a tray with food for us and our wives, right? And, uh, you know, soda and stuff. So we're walking back to the elevator. And this elevator was humongous. I mean, this place, you know, as I looked around, I'm like, this, I could see its former glory, you know. Uh, it, it was like 80s, 80s out. There was like mirrors everywhere. You guys remember the 80s? You know, for mica furniture, you know. It was like real cool looking. You know, for a moment, I thought that like Tony Montana was going to pop out of somewhere, say hello to my little friend, you know. But he didn't. He didn't. So back to the elevator. I'm in the elevator, big elevator, and I get right by the, by the door because what I want to do is I just want to get back to the beach. So I'm standing in front of the door. The door closes, and as it closes, there's this humongous picture, poster of uh, Tony Orlando. It says, Live Tonight, Crystal Palace Casino, Tony Orlando. And, and I, I look at Bob and at Abraham. I'm like, who's Tony Orlando? You know? And they they look at me, and they're like, they don't know, you know, I don't know, I don't know who Tony Orlando is. And I say, I know, he's got to be a big loser to be playing here, right? And they start laughing, and, and I start laughing, and we crack a couple more jokes, and, and we miss the floor. We miss the lobby. 
And I'm like, oh, man, nobody pressed the button because we're holding trays. So we couldn't, like, hit the L button. And, and I look, and the only thing that's lit on this elevator that, you know, this building has a bunch of floors is pH. Right? And I'm like, penthouse. So we have to go all the way up. And so I'm here holding my tray, you know, chuckling a little bit still about the Tony Orlando thing. And, and, and when we get to the penthouse, the door opens, and there's this dude in the back of the elevator. And he's like, uh, excuse me, this is me. And he walks out of the elevator. And, and when the guy walks out of the elevator, we look at him, and then we look at each other. And we don't say anything, but everybody knows what everybody's thinking. We're like... It was Tony Orlando was in the elevator with us when I, when I said that stuff. And, and here's the problem. The poster on the elevator, it looked like this. All right? I'm talking, this was like six years ago, and then the Tony Orlando picture was like that. And this is what Tony Orlando looks like now. All right? And so, I mean, you got to give me a little bit of slack here, you know? And, and here's the same thing, the same way that I had no idea who Tony Orlando was, even when I saw a picture of him. I mean, the living Tony Orlando was standing next to me. I didn't recognize him. It's the very same thing that happens to people all over the world when they're trying to find the person that they're going to spend the rest of their life with. See, they have no idea what a husband should be. They have no idea what a wife should be. All they have is this picture that Hollywood has painted, that the media has painted, that fairy tales have painted. Many people, many Christians don't know who God says that they should spend the rest of their life with, who they should marry. The Bible teaches us that they are specific things that we should look for in the person that we are going to marry. And you know what? It's not because God wants to ruin your fun or God wants you to marry a nerd. You know, it's God's trying to protect you. God knows what's best for you. God's trying to protect your happiness. And not just your happiness, but the happiness of your children and your children's children. However, our culture teaches us that it's romantic to fall accidentally in love. It's romantic for two lovers to bump into each other in a bar. And then go upstairs and get busy. And then you go to the office on Monday. Oh, my God, I met the cutest guy. And oh, did you? Did you? No, I didn't. Yes, you did. You know, oh, my God. But the truth is that more often than not, these accidents end up in broken hearts, broken dreams, broken emotions, families that are being destroyed, purity that has been lost. And many times, tragically, Children that grow up in homes without their mom and without their dad. And this is tragic, but the good news is this. That today I will share with you from God's word exactly how you can find the love of your life. Today I'll give you the tools that you need to avoid the mistakes that maybe your parents and loved ones and friends have made. Today's message, it's a message for teenagers. It's a message for college students, for young professionals. For people who are divorced, for single moms and dads, and it's also for married people, for parents, for grandparents, for aunts and uncles. The story that we're going to read today is out of Genesis 24. It's a story that applies to everyone, whether you're in a romantic relationship or whether you are dying to be in one. And let me set it up for you real quick. What we're going to read is happening right around the time that Abraham, 
the father of the Jewish people, loses his wife, Sarah. And we're going to begin reading Genesis 24, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now Abraham was old and well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over everything that he had, Please, put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. Stop there. Give me your attention. What's the first thing that we notice here? What do we see in this passage? We see a father that is concerned for his son. Abraham was so serious about this that he called the person that he trusted the most. It says his trusted servant. And he made him swear to God that he would find his son a wife. You see, Abraham understood the most important relationship that a son will ever have here on earth would be the woman that he would marry. You see, this is the very reason why God chose Abraham from the beginning. From all the people that were living on earth, he chose Abraham to be the father of his people, the father of God's children. The father of the people from which the Messiah would one day enter into the world. Because God knew that Abraham was not only concerned that his children would grow up to be healthy, that they would grow up to be financially secure and happy. Abraham would make sure that his children would walk with the Lord. Abraham's greatness was his concern for his children's spiritual future. In Genesis 18, it says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Genesis 18, 18 through 19. Parents today, they invest so much time and money in their children's education. They spend so much time and energy making sure that their kids are involved in athletics. But they make little effort ensuring that their children will grow up equipped to be godly men and women. And we see this all the time. I mean, I drive by the parks and I see all these parents. And you know what? That's great. That is amazing to spend time with your kids doing sports and taking them to be involved in clubs and stuff like that. But man, I see so little effort when it comes to making sure that kids grow up spiritually mature and ready to face the world. A lot of times what we want is we just drop them off at church and it's like, okay, pastors and friends, raise them. You know, that's not what we do when we take them to the park. We, we're at the practices and we're like, you got to work on your throw. You know, you can't drop the ball. And then, you know what? We're going to go practice. I want to make sure. And a lot of times, you know what it is? It's pride. Because we don't want the other parents laughing at us. Oh, look, that's your kid. The one that drops the ball all the time. The one with the black eye. The one that can't run. The one that gets out every time. So it's a lot of times not even about the kid. It's about you and what people are going to say about you. It's so important that we invest time in making sure that our kids are spiritually ready to face this world. You know what? The large part of spiritually preparing a child for life for a life of godliness, is making sure that your child finds a suitable partner. Abraham was terrified that Isaac would marry into the godless pagan culture of Canaan. 
and thereby forfeiting all the promises that God had given to Abraham. See, the person that we marry has an extreme power of influence over our lives, over our values, over our convictions. And even greater than that, the person that we marry will forever shape and influence our children. So how do we assure that our kids have successful marriages? It's the first building in your outline. Parents must be involved in their children's dating life. And here's the ever too common response that I get to that statement. I don't even want to think about that. I don't even want to think about my kids dating when they're young. Or sometimes when the kids get older, oh, it's up to him, you know, it's up to her. That's who she wants to live with. You know, it's not just up to them. It's up to you. Isaac didn't even know Rebecca. Abraham said, go and find her there. That meant he was involved. And here's the reality. There's nothing that we can do to avoid the fact that our kids are going to fall in love one day. There's nothing you can do about that. But what you can do is get involved. Tell your daughter, oh, you like Timmy? That's great. I want to meet him. I don't just want to meet Timmy. I want to meet his mom and his dad. You know what? Let's do a barbecue. Let's invite them over. I want to be involved. Some of you are saying, Mark, I don't have kids. You know, why, why are you telling me this now? Or maybe your kids are too young. You know what? I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a nine-month-old. It sounds like I'm in a competition. I'm not. <laughs> but a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a nine-month-old. You know what? I regularly pray for the woman that one day will be the wife of my kids. I mean, last night, my little sister got married. And we got home late. The kids passed out in the car, you know, and, and we put them in bed. And it was like one o'clock and I'm like pacing around the house thinking about my message. And I just walked into their room and I laid my hands on my two boys and I say, God, help them grow up to be men that fear you, men that honor you. And I pray for the woman that one day they will marry and spend the rest of their lives with. This is now, I am actively involved in that. And now I have gray hair. I, I haven't had gray hair. I'm 34 years old. And now, in 2012, they're just popping out of everywhere. I have like five gray hairs in my chin hock, okay? Because now I began to pray for the knucklehead that one day is going to have the heart of my precious Stella. And let me tell you one thing. Uh, it, it drives me crazy, it does, just thinking about that. But, but I'll tell you this, you know what? You know why I'm like this? Because, because I'm a product of that. My in-laws, and I hope they're not here, and I won't let them hear the MP3, they drove me crazy when I was a teenager. I mean, crazy. I, I was so bitter at times against them because of the, all the rules that they had. I mean, it was this like, you know, old school Cuban family, que pasa USA style, chaperona everywhere. I'll translate that. They were like really strict, overprotective, and I had to go with a chaperone everywhere. Um, and uh, and, and I, I resented that. You know the first time I went on a date, just me and my wife, my girlfriend at the time, the first time? The day I asked her to marry me. The first time I ever went anywhere alone. Some of you may think it's extreme. If you would have asked me, I thought it was extreme. But when I look back in retrospect, I thank God every single day for their involvement in our relationship. Every single day. You guys want to go to the movies? Let's go. You guys want to go to Disney? All right, let's go to Disney. You guys want to go to the fair? Let's go to the fair. You guys want to do this? All right, let's do it. They really never said no to us. They were just there all the time. But you know what? You can't have sex with your girlfriend if her dad's sitting in front of you. You can't touch her where you shouldn't touch her if her mom's, you know, staring into your eyes. 
So you know what? Their involvement in our life protected our legacy, protected our story, and that could be the same thing for your kids. Here are five ways you can make sure that your kids marry a Christian person. Number one, pray. Pray. Pray specifically for these things. Number two, you can't skip this one. You yourself have to be a godly parent. You can't demand that your kids act one way and then you're doing something completely different. Get them involved in church. This morning, you know who served me my coffee? Alex, the guitar player is here, eight-year-old daughter, served me my coffee. I was so proud of her when I saw her. Here, here's your coffee, Pastor Mark. That's what we got to do with our kids. Get them involved in church as early as you can so that when they grow up, it's just normal. The same way that you teach them to brush their teeth and you, te- you know what, bring them to church and say, you know what, you're going to start serving. Where can my kids begin to serve here at church? Get them involved. Number, number four, teach them what a godly man and woman look like. Explain to them, this is the type of woman that you want to marry. This is the type of guy that you want to marry. And number five, and this is going to seem a little weird, but, but this works. Invite their friends to your house. Let me tell you, once they become teenagers, the most influential people in their life is not going to be you. It's not going to be grandma. It's going to be their friends. All right? When they have a problem, the first person they're going to go to is a friend. Get to know who they're hanging out with. I told this to a mom one time when she came for counseling. And, and I'm like, Who's your, who are your kids' friends? Who, who are these people that are leading him to smoke weed and skip school? I mean, who are they? She's like, I don't know. I don't know who they are. They're from the school. I'm like, why don't you bring them to your house? It's like, Mark, I just don't want them to like mess up my house. They're boys. I don't want them to break anything. And I looked at her. I said, you know what? It's better for something in your house to break. It's better for, for your house to get messed up than for your kid to break and for your kid to get messed up. Proverbs 22 says this, train a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. Promises from God. Some of you guys are thinking, okay, Mark, now we know what parents need to do to be involved in their children's dating life. But I'm older. I'm a college student. I'm far from having kids. I'm a young professional. I'm a single mom. I'm a single dad. Where am I going to find Mr. Wright? Where am I going to find Mrs. Wright? In this passage that we read, Abraham makes his servant promise him. He makes his servant swear to God. And the reason I'm repeating this is because I want you to know how serious this promise that a servant made to him was if his servant would break that promise if his servant would fail the outcome of that promise was death okay his servant would die if he would break that promise that's how serious this was and abraham says don't let my son marry a canaanite go back to my land to my people to my family and find a wife for my son and right here lies the key the second feeling is this you can't find True love outside of the family of God. It is impossible. You can't do it. You're not going to find it. You're not going to find true love at happy hour. You're not going to find true love by throwing yourself into the arms of every metrosexual boy that gives you the time of day. It makes you feel good. Okay, just because, you know, you go to Match.com and and it says Christian. It doesn't mean that he's a Christian. You have to see the fruit that people are bearing. The only way that a Christian person can find true love, a love that lasts, a love that respects, is in the family of God. It's in church. It's in the arms of a man or a woman that loves God. 
Oh, but he's just so nice, Mark. You don't know. He's just so nice. I've heard this so many times. Oh, Mark. You know, and they say it kind of low, but she's just so fine. She's just so hot, Mark. You know, I could change her. You know, I, she's so humble. I could bring her here and I could change her. And then they start quoting scriptures. Nothing's impossible for God, Mark. And you know what? Amen. I believe that nothing's impossible for God, but it is impossible for you to be in this relationship if he or she is not a Christian, if he or she is not a believer. The Bible says this. It's not me. I'm not, you know, trying to ruin your party, ruin your game. The Bible says this. Don't become partners with those who reject God. If you're not a Christian, you reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? There's no partnership. That's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Don't trust and mistrust. Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? But that is exactly what we are, each of us. A temple in whom God lives. God himself put it this way. I'll live in them. Move into them. I'll be their God. They will be my people. So leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good, says God. Don't link up. And I love this version. Don't link up. That's what people say now. They don't want to commit to dating. No, we're just linking up. We're just hooking up. Or I just hooked up. Or she just hooked up with him. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. God's saying that to us. I'll be your father. You'll be my sons and daughters. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I read that and I get excited that God's saying, hey, you know what? I will be your father. I want you all for myself. I mean, and God's doing this because he wants to protect you. God wants you to be happy. And I hear that, but doesn't God want me to be happy? Doesn't he want, to, want me to find someone that's going to make me laugh? And you know what? He's making you laugh now because he wants something. But you'll be crying soon enough if he does not believe in God, if she does not believe in God. And some of you are probably saying, and I've heard this, you know, I, I met someone at church. I started dating him, and, and my relationship is falling apart. My relationship is a mess. Matthew 7 says this, they come to you looking like gentle sheep, but they are really dangerous wolves. You have to be careful who you decide to have a relationship with. Too many times I see people jumping right into a relationship with someone just because they had a great conversation or because she just knows how to text me at the right time of day. She has the perfect emoticons, you know, the little happy faces and hearts and arrows and praying hands and She's a Christian. She sends me praying hands all the time on my phone. You know, Christians have no business rushing into a relationship just so that they could call someone my boyfriend or my girlfriend. What are we, in eighth grade? Be their friend. It's okay. You can think they're attractive. You can like them. Be their brother and sister in Christ. Take time to pray. Take time to read your Bible with them. Serve with them. Sit next to them at church. Go out with them. With a group of friends. You know what? Yesterday, I was in the office studying. Usually the Saturday before I teach, I'll spend all day in the office. I'm going over my message, going over the notes, praying. And then all of a sudden, there's this giant ruckus in the office. And I'm like, what's going on? No one works on Saturday. And I go out, and, and there's a bunch of singles in the office. 
And, and these are the singles that you guys prayed for last week that, that, are, that are right now in service in Cuba. And, and I usually preach my message like five times to myself before I even stand up here just to make sure I'm comfortable and, and that everything's flowing right and stuff. And uh, I just don't make this up on the fly. And, and I said, you know what? There's six singles that have my undivided attention right now. And that I really want them to hear this message. And I talked to, to the guy that's leading the trip and I said, hey, do you have like 30 minutes so that I could share this message with them? And I shared the message with them. They're all single. None of them are dating anyone right now. And I mean, these, these young girls and, and the two guys, I mean, they were in tears as they are hearing this. And I said, you know what? The best thing that you guys can do to find the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with is what you're doing right now. You're going on a missions trip. You're serving God. You're involved in what God is doing. And even that isn't enough. You like someone, you know the first thing you got to do to the freebie, it's not in your outline, is you got to look for their fruit. Just saying that you're a Christian isn't enough. Are they bearing fruit? That means are they living it out? Are good things coming from their relationship with God? And once you begin to see these fruit, you take that next step. And the reason why sometimes relationships in church don't work out is because people are desperate. They're desperate to have someone to call their own. They don't take things slow. Just because they come to church, it doesn't make them a Christian. you got to watch how people react. Write that down in your notes. You have to watch how people react. The other day, or a while ago, I was with a group of teenagers, and, and this one girl brought her boyfriend for the first time, first time he had ever been around the group. We were going on an outing with the youth group. And uh, they're playing sports, and, and one of the guys knocks this guy over. I mean, and, and they were playing, like, you know, sports. It was all in good sportsmanship. The guy eats it, and he starts, oh, I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to knock you out, F you, blah, 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 all this stuff. And I look at the girl, and the girl comes up to me very quietly. Pastor Mark, that's not really how he acts. He's just, you know, reacting because, you know, he got hurt. And I said, wait a minute. Do you realize what you just said? That's not how he acts. Acting? That's not how he's acting around you. This is who he really is. That guy that just went crazy and tried to punch someone in the face, that's who he really is. Don't watch how someone acts. Watch how they react. Young ladies, young men, moms and dads, watch how people react. Let's continue reading. Genesis 24, verse 10. It says, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his, ha- were in his hands. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go to draw water. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, Please give me success this day and show kindness to my master. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman who says, Please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, Drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master 
And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher for her, from her shoulder. Now the young woman was beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And then she had finished giving him a drink, and she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into her throat and, and through, ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on, on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren, so the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. You stop there. Give me your attention. Then, after all this happened, Abraham's servant is now in Rebecca's house. Okay? And she meets her family there. And she tells, he tells them, this is everything that's happened. I pray to God. I pray to God that he would help me find you guys. You know, there's no MapQuest, no iPhones. The guy's just riding through the desert with his camels and all the stuff he was bringing. And he meets this girl, goes back to her house and tells them how God answered their prayers. And then at the end of that, he said, would you let your daughter come back with me? Would you let your daughter come back with me? And he lavished them with gifts and, and gold and, and, and stuff. And she left. And these few verses, God shows us specific characteristics that a woman must have. In the verses that we just read, the first thing is purity. We read that she was a virgin. You know what? Being sexually pure, single Christians, you should strive for that more than anything. However, this is one of the areas that there is most compromise in. Mark, it's 2012. People don't do that stuff anymore. And single Christians, they think they could get away with it. You know why they think they could get away with it? Because they know the Bible. They know the Bible says that God is good, that His grace is enough, and, and that, you know, God will forgive me. And, and that's right. You know what else God will forgive you for? Murder. So start killing people. That sounds a little extreme, right? It does. And so does having sex before you get married. That is extreme. That is unheard of when you look at the Word of God. When you read the Word. And you know why God doesn't want you to have sex before you're married? I'm going to tell you right now. Because sex makes you stupid. Write that down, single people. Sex makes you stupid. And you know why? It's supposed to. Sex is supposed to make you stupid. 
Sex is like the Novocaine that makes marriage work. All right? It's like your wife's driving you crazy. Numb me up, Jesus. You know, your husband drives you crazy. Numb me up, Lord. In marriage, when it's kept the way that God designed it, that's what keeps marriages together and holds them together for a lifetime. You know, I've been, I was a youth pastor for seven years here in this church, and I've been in full-time ministry for ten years, and I, I tell you all of that to tell you that I've heard all kinds of stories. Stories that break my heart. I've spoken to young ladies that tell me, you know, I don't know why I'm still with him. After everything that he does to me, after the way that he treats me, after the things that he does, after the way that he cheated on me. And guys, I don't know why I'm with her. She drives me crazy. You know, all this stuff. She's mean. I, I don't know why I'm with her. And, and every single time, every single time, every single conversation that I've had with a single person that's told me this. I've asked them, are you having sex? A hundred percent of the time, it's been yes. Sex makes you stupid. It clouds your judgment. It doesn't let you see the mistakes that your boyfriend and your girlfriend, the way that they treat you, you don't see that. And that's the way that God made it. He made it for marriage. He made it for marriage so that you can have a bond with your wife like no one ever has had. A bond with your husband like no one has ever had. Do what's right. Honor God. And if you've made the mistake, if you no longer have your virginity, you know what? Tell God, you know what? From this moment on in my life, I will never do that again. And God will forgive you. God will restore restore you. Ask God. And sex isn't just intercourse. I mean, if it has anything to do with your core. It's not just, core is not just for CrossFit. All right? Working out your core. If you're working out your core with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you're having sex with your clothes on. This is serious stuff. That's not what God designed. Honor God. Respect God in your relationship. Let me lighten it up a little bit. The second thing is kindness. All right? Find a woman that is kind. You know what? She gave Eliezer water. She had no idea who he was. A dude with ten camels shows up. And, hey, can I have some water? You know what? She said, yes, here's some water. Not only was she kind, the third thing, she was generous. She didn't just give him water. She said, you know what? I'm going to go fetch 25 gallons of water to give water to your camels as well. The fourth thing, she was hospitable. She offered them a place to stay. A good woman is going to know how to take care of her home, is going to know how to make people feel comfortable in their home. Fifth thing is faith in God. She had faith in God. She left her home because someone told her, God led me here. God led me to you. You are part of God's plan. And she said, you know what? If God led me here, and her family said the same thing, if you say that God led you here and that God led you to our daughter, we give her to you. She's going to a land to marry a guy she's never met, but she had faith in God. Guys, you want to find the love of your life? Find a woman that is pure, that is kind, that is generous, that's hospitable, and the most important thing, a woman that believes in God. The third thing, the right woman has faith in God. You know what? God blessed me with a beautiful wife. I love my wife. 
She, she loves to dress up. Yesterday at my sister's wedding, I thought she was the most beautiful woman in the room. But you know when she looks the most beautiful to me? The nights that I walk into our room and she's like wearing one of my oversized shirts and she has a moño viral, like her hair is all messed up. And she's spending time with God. And she's reading her Bible. She's writing in her journal. That's when she looks the most beautiful to me. Because I know the more time that she spends with God, the more she's going to love my children. Because I know the more, more time that she spends with God, the more she's going to be able to put up with me and my craziness. Two weeks ago, I celebrated nine years of marriage. And today I stand here. Thank you. Thank you. That's why I have a tan. Um, two years ago... I celebrated nine years of marriage, and I stand here today, and I tell you, I love my wife today more than I've ever loved her. And it has nothing to do with who I am or who she is, but it has everything to do with the fact that God is a priority in her life. God's not just something that she does on Sundays. God is something that she does. It's not something she does because it brings her good luck or it makes her feel good. God is the number one thing that she resorts to. It's the first one that she goes to when she has a problem. She places all her trust in God. First Peter says this, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet whisper, which is of great worth. That doesn't mean women now that, you know, don't put makeup on, don't look nice, look beautiful, okay? But the most important thing is your relationship with God. And now, ladies, it's your turn. What does Mr. Right look like? The right man has faith in God. In verse 63 of Genesis 24, when Rebecca sees Isaac for the first time, he's not playing pool with his buddies, smoking a stogie. You know, he's not throwing a couple back with his friends. The Bible says that he is wandering in the field, meditating Talking to God, spending time with God. Imagine the first time she sets eyes on him and she knew that it was him. Ladies, you want to find the right man? Moms and dads, you want to know the man that is suited, that is worthy of your daughter? He looks like this. Number one, he puts God first in his life. Before anything else, before you, before your daughter, God is number one. If you begin to date a guy... And he begins to blow his commitments to God to make you feel good, to make you feel important. Run. If the guy that you're dating stops serving in church to spend more time with you, run, run. Because if he's able to somehow put you before God, the time will come when something else will get in your way. The second thing, it's a man that serves in church. Yes, a man that serves in his church. Genesis 24, 14 called Isaac, not a prince. He didn't call him a mighty warrior. He didn't call him, you know, a great knight. He didn't call him a, a wrestler. He said, Isaac, a servant of God. He was a servant of God. Men, you want to be Mr. Right? Do you want to be Mr. Right? Pull out your connection card. On the back of your connection card, there's a little box all the way in the bottom of that first square. It says, serve at Calvary Fellowship. Father, you want to show your daughter what a man of God looks like? Begin serving God right here in your church so that they can see you, your kids can see you. I want a, a man like Daddy. 
A man that wakes up early or stays late or stands up all during service while everyone else is sitting down to make sure that people, you know, get what they need and stuff. I want a man like that. That while the rest of the men are sitting down, my dad's standing up. While the rest of the men are sitting, my dad woke up at 5 o'clock and he's here setting up. Or my dad, he got home, yeah, a little bit late, and so we're having lunch a little bit late. But you know what? He was tearing down a church. Or my dad's in Cuba with a bunch of missionaries. Or my dad's feeding the homeless. I want a man like that. You want your daughter to marry a man of God? Be a man of God. You want your niece to marry a man of God or whoever that girl is in your life? Become a man of God that doesn't compromise. It is our responsibility to be examples. Number three, a man of God has integrity. Proverbs 10 says this, The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. All of us know that a a woman really wants to feel safe. Right, ladies? Isn't that what you want is to feel safe, to feel secure? That her man will provide for her inside of every woman is a desire, the dream to be swept away by a knight in shining armor. And I promise you, it has nothing to do with her love for horses and the horses that knights ride, but has everything to do with integrity. It has everything to do with feeling protected. A man, number four, a man that loves and respects his mother. In verse 67 of Genesis 24, the first place that Isaac brought Rebekah, the first place to his mother's tent that had passed away. And he told her about his mom and how much he loved his mom. Ladies, if the guy you're dating and you think you like disrespects his mom that gave birth to him, that fed him, that took care of him, that changed his poopy diapers, be careful because he's going to disrespect you The fifth thing, it's a man that has a plan for his future. Isaac knew that he had an awesome responsibility before him. He knew the very same way that God promised Father Abraham, that he would be the father of many, that that same promise God had given to him. God had promised his father that Jesus would come through his lineage. That meant he was the only son, if we read the Bible, of the promise. And that Jesus would come through his lineage too. He knew that he had an important responsibility to pass through him. He knew that he had to take care of his family. Teenagers, moms and dads, this means that the guy that you like, the guy that you love, does well in school. Going for the bad boy is only going to break your heart. The love of your life has a job, has a career, The love of your life can provide for you and your family. You wonder why Abraham's servant lavished Rebecca's family with precious jewels and riches. This wasn't the servant's stuff. This was Isaac's stuff. Eliezer wanted Rebecca and her family to know that Isaac was going to take care of their little girl. Being cute doesn't pay the bills. Having nice biceps, it doesn't pay the bills. Being sweet and funny doesn't buy diapers. The last thing that we need to do is we need to surrender it to God. We need to surrender the person that we're going to marry. We need to surrender the person that our kids are going to marry. We need to surrender our relationships to God. Everybody here in this room knows someone that's single. Everyone in this room has a kid or knows someone that has a kid or has grandkids. 
has nieces and nephews, works with people that do. You know, maybe you're here today and, and you've been single or you are single. Your heart has been broken. Surrender that to God and say, God, you know what? I'm here. Take everything that I am. Make me into that suitable man. Make me into that suitable lady that loves you more than anything. Let me tell you, if you surrender that to God, you'll be surprised with what He can do in your life. When it's no longer about you, it's no longer about the way you walk or the way you talk, but it's about what God does in your life. And God does through your life. Single people, the same way that I told parents to pray for the kids that they'll marry one day, pray for that person. He's out there. She's out there. They're probably here in this room right now praying for you, and you don't even know it. The same way that I was in that elevator with Tony Orlando. God doesn't want you to be alone. He said it in Genesis. It is not good for man to be alone. And I love this promise in the book of Psalms. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. What an amazing verse. Trust God. Commit your ways. Commit everything to God, and He will bring it to pass. Say that with me. He will bring it to pass. He will bring it to pass. Before we close, I... I want to pray. I want to pray for the parents that are in this room. Parents that have young kids, parents that have teenagers, or parents that just have eternal adolescents that are in their 30s and 40s and still haven't grown up. People that maybe are divorced or in the middle of getting a divorce. There is hope. There is hope for your relationship for your children's relationships, for your children's children's relationships. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, if, if you're here today and you want me to pray for you, I just want you right where you are just to stand up. And I want to pray for you. Maybe you're single and you're looking for that person. I want to pray for you. Maybe you're a parent and you just want to say, you know what, God, I, I want to offer my kids up to you, Lord. And, and I'm sorry I haven't done it sooner. But from this moment on, I give them to you. I give their future wife and their future husband to you. Help me be the parent that I need to be to raise my kid up to be a godly man, to be a godly woman. Maybe you're in a relationship right now and and you've made some mistakes. You've messed up. And you need to tell God, God, I'm sorry, I messed up. I did things the way I wasn't supposed to do them. Help me change. Help me start over. In Jesus' name, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray for what looks like the entire room that has stood up. Father, I pray for those single people in this room. Some of them have been in and out of relationships. Some of them have made big-time mistakes, things that they regret, things that are killing them right now as they think about it, God. I pray that you would restore their hearts, that you would restore their mind. Father, that inside of them, 
the commitment to you of never compromising again when it comes to dating would just burn inside of them as the most important thing in their life. We thank you for your word, for this story that's thousands of years old, that's full of so much truth, so much teaching, richness, God, of what a man looks like and what a godly woman looks like. Help us be that. Father, I pray for the dad that's in here right now, that's standing up. Maybe he hasn't done exactly what what you've wanted him to do, but he's standing up here today to say, you know what, I am going to model what a man of God is to my sons and to my daughters. Regardless if I want to do it or not, I am going to do it. I make that commitment today. Regardless if it feels good sometimes or not, I am going to do it because my kids are worth it. My marriage is worth it. My relationship with God deserves it. God, that they would never forget that. I pray for the moms that stay asleep at night for hours just worrying about their kids. That they would find comfort in you and have the boldness to take their place as moms and speak truth into the lives of their children. Speak truth into the lives of their husbands so that they man up and begin to lead in their home. Father, we trust you and we surrender all of these requests to you. I pray for those that have been divorced. That you would let them know that there also is hope for them. That there is a man out there and a woman out there that loves you, God, more than anything. For them. I pray for these adults that that have experienced everything as married couples that now have to say I'm not going to have sex with my boyfriend even though I was married for so many years I, I am going to make sure that my relationship, my courtship is pure so that we can start fresh, so that God can bless our marriage and our relationship thank you Jesus, in your name we pray and we give you thanks and everyone says, Amen, praise the Lord